The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. Good to be back. If you'll turn to the book of Romans. We've been going through the book of Romans for a while now. Took a little break over Christmas holidays and uh, got right back in it. And I'll probably give us a quick refresher of what we've been through in just a minute. I want to uh, thank you for praying. If you prayed for me uh, when I was called at the last minute to speak at our state conference, we had a pastor that was going to speak on Friday night of our state student conference. And uh, he had a death in the family and had to uh, to leave town. And so um, rather than preach something I had been preaching, I asked the Lord for a new word. And uh, we went through... Um, scripture and it brought that new word to us and it was really for such a time as this night our first night at that conference we had about 500 college students there uh, meeting together and uh, when I gave some miraculous things happened first thing is I preached longer than 30 minutes I don't usually last that long I'm about a 30 minute I've got about that much breath in me and um, but well, the Lord was moving it was a powerful night it went about 45 minutes so maybe that's the new standards y'all get ready for today. And then um, after the message, we uh, I gave an invitation. And uh, one of those invitations to, where I said, I'm not going to stand up here and try to talk you into anything. Uh, the Lord's already been moving in your heart long before you came here. And uh, he's working in your life. I know he's speaking to you. I've watched it happen tonight during worship. And uh, so if the Lord is moving for you to c- commit to him, to to let go of some things that are holding you back, to follow him uh, closely, to give your life over to him, uh, come forward, and dozens of, of students came forward. The line, the, the stage was full, the side walls down the side, every staff member we had was there counseling people and having to counsel two and three people, and it was a great night. Then the next day, the next speaker came in, and uh, if I got on first base, he hit a home run. Uh, he did uh, such a good job and, and spoke, and then the same thing with the third session. And at that session, over 400 students signed commitment cards uh, to take their Jesus with them and share Jesus. So 400 students were going to say that they, they said, that I will, and wrote it by name, the person that they were going to share the gospel with within the next week, uh, and they went out to do that. So God moved greatly. I do, I want to say, I, I felt the prayers. I felt the prayers. God, God really gave us uh, a, a special time. So thanks for that. We, um, I know you had a very similar thing going on here with, with the Bible study. You, anytime you deeply study the Word, the Lord just speaks to your heart and, and really uh, encourages folks and strengthens folks and makes them bolder. So those of you that committed to be here uh, throughout last week and, and received that Word, the Lord's really going to strengthen you. He's going to give you some strength. He's going to uh, encourage you through that. So, Book of Romans, we chapter one's introduction. We see Paul introducing himself to the church in Rome, and and he talks about the depravity of the world that we're living in. And I could probably get on it every week and talk about depravity because it is a a, a very terrible situation in the world. I don't know that it's ever been uh, good at all. Honestly, I think there's been sin in the world from the beginning of time, but in that in that time, God has been about the work of reconciling the lost to himself. The rebellious come to know him. So then chapter 2, you uh, have judgment comes to all mankind, both Jews and Gentiles. Everybody gets it. No matter who you are, that judgment comes to you for the sinful state of the, of, of 
our nature. In chapter 3, nobody's righteous, no one's righteous. All have fallen or short of the glory of God. Even the religious elite are short of the glory of God. They're, they uh, can only be saved. Where does that come? Verse 4, 5, and 6, through Jesus. Through Jesus alone. No work can get you there. No uh, religion can get you there. No uh, incantation can get you over the line to get you into uh, the presence of God, to be right with God. It only comes through Jesus. Chapter 6, we're made alive. We're dead to sin, but we're made alive in Christ. And then chapter 7 is we're released from the bondage. Not just the bondage of sin, but the bondage of the law that holds that holds us back. So we're released from all that in Jesus. And then comes chapter 8. And then chapter 8, very first verse, Therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So you find who you are and where you stand in chapter 8. And not just... That one verse, not just that there's no condemnation, you've been set free and justified and cleansed and made new. And there's more going on in the chapter. Right in the middle of chapter 8, you see that in the we are going to face very difficult, troubled times in life. Some of you, since I have seen you last, uh, it's only been like 10 days. Some of you in the last 10 days have seen trouble. You've seen something terrible happen to you, something sad has happened to you. You've lost someone, a loved one. Uh, there, there are things that have happened in your life. Maybe you uh, maybe you did your taxes. I don't know. Something bad happened. But you know that in the midst of all that difficult times, you've got Jesus with you, don't you? You know that he's with you. That's the promise we get from chapter 8. So we're going to get on later on to the very last few verses of chapter 8 in just a minute. We spend a lot of time in the early stages of believers, teaching them that Jesus is with them. We sing songs to them. We teach them things uh, along, along the way as they grow up in faith, telling them that no matter what they face, that Jesus is with them. Now, I don't know if you can think of any nursery songs that, uh, that you have sang to children or, been, or you learned yourself and sang, but we have one that I'm not sure it was even meant to be a Christian song, but I want to tell you what the song is. It's called, I'm Going on a Bear Hunt. You know the song, I'm Going on a Bear Hunt? Uh, it's I, I had to print it out to get the uh, the lyrics to it because obviously I had been singing and making up my own lyrics for a long time, didn't know it. So it says, we're going on a bear hunt, we're going on a bear hunt, I've got my binoculars and I'm not scared. We sing these songs to our kids early on, they sang them in... in um, children's church uh, and camps and things like that. The first verse is, ooh, look at that tall wavy grass. It's so tall. We can't go over it. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We can't go around it. We're going to have to go through it. So we teach them early on they've got to be able to go through difficult times. And that's what's happening here. While my kids were learning this uh, verse, we were at uh, Collegiate Week. We went every year for about 30 years uh, to Glorietta or Ridgecrest. And uh, Lifeway uh, Baptist, um, the, the organization, owned those camps, and that's a part of us. Some of you have been to Glorietta Camp and uh, by Santa Fe, New Mexico. And our kids grew up, that's part of their heritage. They spend at least one week, sometimes two weeks a year, at this location. And it's a, very, it's a great camp. 
You know how you get these anchors in your life that they are, your faith is anchored to these experiences and these locations? That's what this place is for them. Matter of fact, when they graduated high school, first thing they wanted to do right out of high school is go to Glorietta and work. Our guy, our son that's now the, uh, the pediatrician, he washed dishes every day for a summer on a place called the Dragon. And the Dragon was this big, long, uh, conveyor belt of wasted food and, and, uh, and plates. And he washed dishes on that. And Caitlin, uh, our daughter, she cleaned uh, rooms, hotel rooms, every day, all day. And she only remembers cleaning bathrooms. And she has some bad things to say about that, just so you know. But in the midst of this, we would take, uh, we would go up there in the summer, even when they were really little, we would take them on a bear hunt every time we would go. Because we didn't have uh, black bears where we grew up, so where they grew up. So I wanted them to be able to see them and have that experience. They, um, we would, we, there's certain ways to find them. Is that hell going on about there? Oh, man. It was like an insurance week. Time to call my insurance man. So we would take them out, and we, there were spot, places you could spot them every single time. You know that there was a dumpster behind the cafeteria, and there was going to be a bear there sometime during the night. And then there was a group of dumpsters down uh, past the maintenance shed, off in, uh, way off in the woods. And if you got there, if you had permission, I'd have been around long enough, I'd had permission to go out there. So I went out there occasionally, and I would take not just my kids, but my staff and some other kids, and uh, we would look for bears all the time, always in a bear hunt. They, um, there's one particular time I had a, uh, I was in my Jeep, and it was one of those two-seated Jeeps, and, or two, two-row Jeeps, and it was full of people, kids even in the back. And we pulled up behind the cafeteria, and all the kids were just leaning over the seats looking for a bear. And the biggest bear I'd ever seen in my life came out. And I swear that bear was as long as these front row seats. That's not, not really, but it felt like that. Big old bear, big old heavy bear. And he came out, he rumbled around, he jumped up on the trash can, he walked around the dumpster, he saw us, and then he walked back into the woods. But when he jumped out, uh, one of our... Uh, adult ministers that was uh, with us was a little spooked by it and he screamed out it's a bear about that high pitched all the kids still make fun of him to the day for his experience of, of seeing that bear we taught these kids early on they're going to be difficult things that you face you're going to be on a bear hunt you're going to face some things in life and you are going to face those either alone without hope, without Jesus, are you going to face them with him by your side? Now, I like this um, this Jesus up here on the pulpit. I wish I'd have my, my emergency kit that I keep in the truck, because if I had it, I'd super glue it right there. I'd super glue Jesus right there, because the pulpit needs to be filled with Jesus every week. Y'all agree with that? You need to stand behind the word of Jesus can't go through those difficult times without him. So all that being said, let's get to uh, Romans chapter 8. And Paul poses four questions, four rhetorical questions after all those things he's taught in the first seven chapters of this book, this great theological volume of uh, information in the first seven, eight chapters in Romans. Then he says this, this rhetorical uh, question first. What then shall we say in response to all this? So now you know that you were lost, but now you're found. 
Now you know that you were trapped by sin, but you've been set free. Now that you know that you will face persecution, but he will be with you, what shall we say in response to all this? And Paul's going to lay this out in these next few verses. He's going to tell us who we are and what we have in Jesus. And we're going to see it real clearly. Anyone who goes through a difficult time, you can take it to those last verses of uh, Romans chapter 8. And you can say to them, this is what you got. This is what you have with Jesus. What then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You need to write that down in Sharpie on your hand somewhere. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against you? There's all kinds of things in the world that seem to be against you. And I, I'd love sometime, because I'm, I'm getting to the age that I tell stories multiple times to the same people. I'd love to tell you stories of, of persecution that have happened in life that I've experienced because of knowing the Lord and serving the Lord because they're, they're, they're just so bright in my memory. They're so bright. Difficult things have happened, but whenever we face the difficult things, we know that if God's for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody's the answer. Nobody can be against us because... Just as we learned just a few verses back in chapter 8, we are his heirs to the kingdom. We're his children. We belong to him. So our status is very strong. We're not just people making our way through, pilgrims making your way through life. We are heirs of the king. We're in a position of power, a position of authority. And all that power and authority comes from the Holy Spirit through you, through Jesus in you, through God by, uh, taking care of you. God's force, who can it be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Let me tell you the best explanation I've heard of this. If God is going to go to all the trouble, all the trouble, all the pain, all the... The, the difficulty of sending his son to earth to live as a human. To live among us and teach us and to give his life and to die on the cross. Suffer uh, persecution throughout his life and, and all that, that uh, evil that came on him in his last days. He's going to go through all of that and then raise him from the dead and allow us to know him. How is that great big situation of us knowing Jesus after he gave his life for us, that's going to uh, eclipse any difficulty in life? If he is going to do all that, he can take care of your water bill. If he's going to do all that, he can take, take care of your wayward son. If he's going to do all that, he can take care of your physical ailment. If he's going to do all that, he can counsel you in your melancholy. He can take care of your most difficult days because he died on the cross for you and was resurrected. That's what we get out of this, this verse. Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you the hope when you need it. He's going to give you the strength when you need it. He's going to give you the physical things when you need it. He's going to take care of you when you need it. He's going to heal you when you need it. He's going to be your Lord 
when you need him. And then the fourth rhetorical question comes in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Any kind of opposition about your faith that you may get, that person does not stand a chance in the court of heaven. Because who can bring a charge against you? Because you belong to him. You've been covered. You've been justified. You've been chosen. You've been taken uh, away out of sin and put into this new life in him. Knowing all that, there are still people that know the Lord. We've been taught this. And by the way, I may have gone through that moment at some point this week where I was weak and didn't understand all this. And even though I've studied it and, and been through seminary and talked about it and taught it and all these times, there might be a moment of fear. Henry David Thoreau says uh, something about the condition of men. Uh, he's not typically someone you hear quoted in a pulpit, but he says, the mass of men lives in quiet desperation. People live in this quiet desperation and anxiety of not knowing who they are as God's people, as his creation, as his children. And when we do know that, uh, we have this attitude of wanting to be bold believers. We want to be bold and courageous and be risk takers and do things that are amazing. Um, But we almost always default back to safety. Because of this anxiety and not understanding, knowing that he's with us. He's with us. Here's some common fears people have. They have fear of the obvious. In this room today, there's probably some fear of the obvious. Some things that we probably um, have in common with everyone else. Fear of dying. Fear of some disease taking over our body. Those are those obvious things that we deal with. Fear of a disaster happening. Fear that, uh, that something's going to, a hurricane's going to sweep through and take everything away from us. Or a group of tornadoes will, will spend the night ravaging the whole area. We have fear of those natural things, the obvious things. Then we have a fear of the unknown. A fear of the unknown. I, um, I'm not caught up in this crowd, but I know this crowd, just so you know. People who are doomsday preppers. That's, that's uh, things that you've got to get things ready because something bad's about to happen. I bet ten times last week I heard about terrorists crossing over the border in the south into Texas. Somebody talking about terrorists that are disguising themselves as immigrants that have come across. I hear people talking about that all the time. I don't know if that's real or not. I see how it could be. I see how it could be real. Things happening like that, people uh, sneaking in, and all of a sudden we wake up one day and there's this army of people that have infiltrated our country and they're here to take America down. That's a fear of the unknown, isn't it? We don't know if that's really going on. Somebody might know if it's going on. I don't know if it's going on. But there's a definite fear that there's things out there threatening us. A fear that maybe there's going to be some uh, terrorist attack that doesn't just go after uh, New York City and Washington, D.C., but let's say it might come after Dallas and Houston, New Orleans. That's an unknown. But there's a fear out there. We live with the fear of the unknown. Matter of fact, there is some reinforcement that we should have this fear uh, in our life. I, I, I looked this up. I've read it before. I see it on TV advertised all the time. Um, I, printed, I printed out a list 
from uh, ready.gov. Go to ready.gov. It tells you what to do in the case of a terrorist attack on America. So this is a government-sanctioned uh, website telling you how to get ready for what could possibly happen. This is what you got to have. you got to have one gallon of water per person uh, per day for several days. Okay, that's a gallon of water to live. You need um, a several-day supply of non-perishable food, battery-powered or hand-crank radio, a flashlight, a first-aid kit, extra batteries, a whistle. I'm not sure what that whistle is going to do you. Well, what kind of good that's going to help you? we got a problem. I'm not whistling. Uh, a dust mask to filter out contaminated air, plastic sheeting and duct tape to tape off your house and seal it off so that um, a radioactive contamination can't come in through the door cracks and all that. Um, moist towelettes, garbage bags, a wrench or pliers to turn off the utilities, a manual can opener for your food, maps instead of phone maps, um, backup chargers for things, uh, all kinds of soaps, prescription medications for three months, all, all these things. It's a list. You read this list, you're going to get a little bit paranoid, just so you know. Get prepared. Um, I, I think I, I like to live a life that's fairly prepared. I have a full uh, kit in the back of my truck to make coffee anytime, anyplace I want to. I got a little backpacking stove. It costs, costs way too much money. It costs $45. Um, somebody gave it to me. I got this little backpacking stove that's this big that folds out to this big. And it sits on top of a canister and I have a little cook kit with it. And I have four decaf because I got to have decaf. Four decaf pods for coffee that I break open and pour in there and make a pour over coffee. And I've done it a dozen times on hurricane relief work. Uh, I've prepared for it. Prepared for it. Prepared for the inevitable. The inevitable is I'm going to get somewhere. Also, I carry a can of soup. Carry a can of soup in there with me, too, just in case I get off. And, and I've done it many times. I've been in way south Louisiana when the roads aren't open, much less a gas station. And been out all day long, blood sugar's dropping. I'm popping open a can of tomato soup. We're taking care of business inside the highway. Start talking about some inevitability that you have no control over. It can get control of your heart and mind. The fear of the unknown. The fear of the, an irrational circumstance. That's people that just get caught up in creating scenarios that in their family or in their relationship or in the church or wherever it might be that they have these fears. They get a grip on them and they go down a rabbit hole they can't get out. They just start thinking about the worst possible things that can happen to me. You may have been that way before. Every time um, I pop open the 401k and look at it, I think, mm, I'm going to lose all this. I'm going to lose all this somehow. Market's going to crash, blah, blah, blah. All these things going to happen. Irrational fears. And then there's the fear of the inevitable, which is the fear of death. And then we have a fear of things that will never happen. Here's something that's irrational, unknown, or, or uh, it's irrational, basically, and it will never happen, is Satan will never win. He's not going to win this war. This war that's going on right now, he might win some battles. He might take some hills somewhere. 
but he's not going to win the war. All you got to do, open up that book, look at that last book in the Bible and read it. Read through that thing, you're going to see who wins. Book of Revelation points to Jesus as the victor. It's, it's, it is uh, something that will never happen. And then Paul answers these questions. Let's look down the last part of 33 and then 34. It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. We have Jesus with us. We have Jesus as the advocate for us. Always. Always interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This church could go through very difficult days. All these imaginary scenarios I threw out earlier about survival, what if it does happen? What if it does happen that someone uh, conquers this country and you are uh, facing a military that's moving in with a different set of values, not a Christian set of values, some other religion set of values? And people are being attacked and all your food's being taken and, and uh, people are being executed and all these terrible things could happen. What if it did happen? Would you be able to stand boldly and confidently that Jesus is with you? He's with you. Wouldn't be the first time it happened in history. He's with you. So when all these terrible things happen to us, and by the way, this word was taught to the church 2,000 years ago, that have absolutely faced every one of those things. Everything that I just mentioned in Romans chapter 8 has happened to the church. People drug out in the street and burned at the stake for Jesus. It's happened. Look at a book. There's an old book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you see a people with resolve stronger than us. They're people that have stood up in the face of adversity and proclaimed faith in the Lord. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So all these terrible things that could happen were more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think when I take this one of these home and put it in my pocket, I think there's a chance I'm going to lose it next week. Now, I've lost a lot of things in life. I don't know if you've lost things. I, I wish I knew all the pocket knives I've lost. I got a bunch of them still because you find them when you move. They kind of make their way back into a little cigar box in a drawer somewhere. But I lost a lot of pocket knives. I'm afraid I'd take Jesus with me. 
put him in my pocket. I'm going to put him on a, a bed stand or I'm going to, it's going to be at the gym in a, in a workout bag or somewhere, and I'm going to lose that thing. I'm going to have to come back and get another one. Get on the Internet and buy one or something. But the real Jesus, never going to lose you. Never. And nothing can separate you from it. No terrible thing, no people, nothing. You know, we, we hear these things about who Jesus is and this relationship we have with God and how much he loves us and us being uh, his heirs and his children. And it should evoke a response in us. Amens are great. Amens are appropriate. But worship and obedience is a response that we need to have when we hear these words. Our status in him should provoke us, should urge us to push us toward always being in a state of worship now I've um, now that we've gone through this word I want to say you might be more aware of what's around you that's opposition I remember the first time I learned this principle I bought a Suburban never paid attention to Suburban vehicles ever before as soon as I owned a Suburban I saw Suburbans everywhere they're everywhere. And not only that, people in other suburbans would wave at me when I passed them on the street. It was a community I didn't know I was a part of. I was suddenly aware of it. When you look at this word this way, this I am going to face persecution, you're going to start seeing it. You're going to see some, some potential of what could happen in our society. You're going to see some fearful things, and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and say, yeah, that's there, but I'm here also. I'm with you. You can trust me. Unless you can't. Because you don't know him. When I gave the invitation um, last Friday night with this group of students, I knew the Lord had been working. The first words were, I know you're going to come forward. I know you are, because God's working. I know you are. That's what I'm saying to you. I know you will face trials and tribulations. And the Holy Spirit is going to say to you, but I am with you. I'm with you. There may not be a person in the room. I'm probably not going to be available when something terrible happens. I'll, I mean, who knows where I'll be. I'm not going to be there to say it to you. But the Holy Spirit's going to say, God loves you. You belong to him. I'm with you. Let's pray. Father, if someone here, there's someone listening on Facebook or on the radio that doesn't know you and has great fear of what could be in life, and I pray this right now that they would trust you. They would reach their hand out. They spiritually would reach out and grab hold of your hand. And Father, they would say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you, and I believe. I say, I confess that Jesus is Lord. And Father, as they confess that you're Lord, you take control of their life, they would have all the confidence they need to live the rest of their life, to live faithfully, to live with hope. And Lord, maybe there's someone here that has lost hope, and I pray that right now that you strengthen their hope in you. Strengthen their trust in you. And Father, you'd give them words to encourage others. 
And may those of us that live in a state of, of knowing that we have sonship, that we are heirs of the King, and we live that way daily, may we not hold that back, but may we share it with other people, how they can know Him, how they can know Jesus. Lord, I give all this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand for it with us for a time of invitation. The Lord's moving on you to uh, maybe have a time of prayer to come kneel. Maybe kneel right where you are to, to, to raise your hands and pray and praise Him. Whatever it might be in this moment that you don't hesitate. Don't be fearful. God's for you. Who can be against you? preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.